Now we've been talking about the seven mysteries and I'm just going to go back over this real quick with you and then we're going to move on into what we're doing. The first one I gave you uh, was God manifest in the flesh. And this has been changed in all your other Bibles and I told you that, but it's uh, one of the greatest verses there is on the deity of Christ. The hard thing to understand is, is he calls it a mystery. You say, why? Well, notice what he says, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness, God was manifest in the flesh, justified of the Spirit, seen of the angels, preached to the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. You say, what's the mystery about that? That's the one that created you. That's the one that made you. And he comes down here and he's born as a baby. Do you understand that? Now, the Catholics take off on that and they run that. And what they'll say to you is, is that, well, that means that Mary's the mother of God. Mary's not the mother of God. That's such foolishness. If you show up in heaven right now, you know what she'll do? She'll straighten you out right off the bat. All she did was carry that. If, if Mary was the mother of God, who's God's grandmother? <laughs> you say, well, you're kind of being funny. No, I'm trying to say people run off the deep end on one of the greatest things that are in the Bible. That's God manifest in the flesh. Ladies, you ever take care of a baby? Can you imagine a woman taking care of God? Oh, Bigham back there sings that song, uh, what does that thing go, Mary, did you know? And I, I know all the stuff about that, but you know the thing is, is that when you kiss his face, you're kissing God? Who would have ever thought of that? You have to realize now he's all God and he's all man. So it's not Mary being involved in that and being a part of his nature. There's two different natures there, all God and all man. And if you don't get that, you're going to have problems. So what he comes down here and manifests himself, that means as the old preacher used to say, he put on fingernails and he put on eyelashes and he knew what it was like to be tired and he knew what it was like to have to eat and he knew what it was like to not have to sleep and knew what pain was like. As a matter of fact, God had to learn obedience by the things he suffered. How would God know about that? You say, what did he do? He chose to come down and dwell in a body, but he didn't choose to come down like a theophany in the Old Testament. He chose to come down here in the body of a baby and grow up in the time frame you did. That's God who's not bound by time and can speak star clusters and create the world in six days, just like that, in six days, and confines himself to an embryo and then to the baby, and then all of a sudden pops out and hatches out, and here he is as a little baby one day old, the Ancient of Days one day old, that controls the universe at the same time he's laying in a manger. Do you see why I'm saying it's a mystery? You can't, get, you can't grab that. I can't grab that. I, don't, I believe it, but I don't understand it. Great is the mystery of Godliness. God manifests in the flesh. All right, then the other one I gave you, or a second one that I gave you was, is Christ in you. Come to Colossians chapter 1 if you haven't got this. That means, as we talked about during the Bible study time and question and answer time, uh, that means that if Christ is in you, that He should be in charge of everything. So there's an old me and there's a new me. That means inside me, Paul said, I know, Romans 7, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Because Christ is in him. Now if you're saved and Jesus Christ is in your soul, He's not in your flesh. You understand that, right? You remind me of the guy that was running through and he ran into a bear and he was about to shoot the bear because he wanted a fur coat. And the bear said, hey, let's be reasonable about it. They stood out in the middle of the road talking. And they stood there for a little while and he said, now let's be reasonable about this. I want a meal and you want a fur coat. And the guy said, yeah, I want a fur coat. And he said, yeah, well, if you shoot me, then I'll miss out on my meal. 
So the bear ate him and he got his meal and the man got his fur coat. <laughs> that means I have two natures. That means now you understand how Galatians 5, if I walk in the spirit, I won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. But the antithesis is also true. The opposite of that is true. That if I choose to walk in the flesh, I won't do what the Spirit tells me to do. It doesn't mean I'm lost. It means I'm out of fellowship and I'm disobedient. And I'm not doing what God tells me to do. And then He tells me the things in Galatians 5 that I can do. In Colossians chapter number 1, He tells you down here in verse number 27, to whom God would make known the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. What is what? Christ in you, the hope of glory. That means inside my soul and inside everybody in here that's saved, Jesus Christ is in you. That means that when you die, I know He's not in my flesh. If I kicked off right now and died right this minute, my flesh would go to a hole in the ground. Right? My flesh isn't saved. Now in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 2 Thessalonians chapter number 4, what he tells you is, is at the rapture, he has to change something before your body can go up. In other words, if you're already dead and your worm's already got you, you've already been eaten, you've already rotted, you've done whatever. My dad's been dead now for over 30 years, so whatever happens to be laying out there in the box, when it comes time for the rapture, the Lord will give him a new body. But he has to give him a body in order for it to be raptured. So he comes down, 1 Thessalonians 4, God brings those that are up there with him now, down here with him, and gives him a new body. And if you're alive, you know what he said? He'll change our vile body into a body like unto His body. Suddenly, in the twinkling of an eye, we shall be changed. Unlike the kids in the nursery, they're not always changed in a twinkling of an eye. But here is the thing, they are changed in a twinkle though. But at any rate... But at any rate, ladies and gentlemen, you have to recognize your flesh is not you. Do you understand? Now, why do you tell me that? Because the next one I'm fixing to show you in just a minute, that if Christ is in you, I'm going to show you that you're part of Christ's body. And if that's the case, ladies and gentlemen, if you look at this flesh at any given time and compare it to what the Lord would have you to be according to the Bible, you're going to have to doubt your salvation because your flesh is not coming in line all the time. How about what's between your ears right now? Is it always in line? Does it always think right? I mean, do you always put on the mind of Christ? It wavers here and there, doesn't it? You ever get depressed and discouraged sometimes? You ever get disillusioned sometimes? You ever sometimes get to thinking to yourself that somebody got something you thought you deserved and you ever have a problem with your attitude? I told you during Bible study this, this uh, afternoon or this evening earlier, I told you God's as interested in even more so in your attitude than He is your actions. He's not as interested in your work as the attitude of which you perform the work. He don't want to hold a gun to your head to make you do something. You don't get any rewards at the judgment seat of Christ because you feel like He's going to blow up your water heater if you don't. All right, come to Ephesians chapter number 5. I'm going to spend just a smidgen of time here. Ephesians chapter 5. Now, this is the verses I gave you on the importance of the church. And God likens it unto a husband and a wife. God uh, likens it and says, Christ in the church. He makes you the bride of Christ. He's likening you to a husband and a wife. That's a great mystery. Nobody else in the Bible fits where you are. The Jew is never called the bride of Christ. The nation of Israel is never called the bride of Christ. They're God's chosen people, but they're not the bride of Christ. The church has not replaced national Israel. The church has not replaced the Jew. 
you are separate from them. And when you get raptured out, the Lord goes back to the Jew. If you want to get fancy with it, parenthetically, you're in a church age right now. And what happened is, is when they crucified the Lord, 225 days later, they stoned Stephen. There went the finishing of uh, listening to the Holy Spirit. God in the Old Testament, Jesus at cross. And then 225 days later, the Holy Spirit, three strikes, you're out. And then he starts the church. And when that church started, it started all the way back in Acts 2. I don't care what a hyper-dispensation tells you. Don't start with Paul in Acts 28. That's foolishness. But listen to me now. In Acts chapter number 2, when that thing begins, you start something that's never been here before. These things are mysteries. You don't find them anywhere else. You say, why? They were unknown to the Old Testament prophets. You can't find them. They're mysteries. They're not revealed until the Apostle Paul comes along. There's no Christ in the church in the Old Testament. You don't see that anywhere in there. Christ in the church, what is that? A relationship between a husband and a bride. And you're that bride. That means when you got saved, you got more than saved. He likens it unto a marriage supper. He likens it inviting you to a wedding. You know who comes to your wedding? Psalm 45. Uh, you have friends that come to the wedding and other people that come to the wedding and stuff like that. You say, why? Because you're married to him, but you're already married to him. And you're already seated with him in heavenly places. And He ever lives to make intercession for you right now and you can have your prayer heard before Him right now and through the blood of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven right now and it's as if you're already up there but you just hadn't got there yet. Amen. See why it's a mystery? You say, what is that? Christ in the church, He has a different relationship with you than anybody else. How could He have a relationship with a church before the church ever existed? The church is Jew and Gentile in one body. Jew, Gentile, bond-free, male, female. That's Christians. He doesn't look at you that way. That's not non-gender specific. That's foolishness. That's telling you that God sees you as a Christian no matter where you come from, what gender you come from, what race you come from. When you get saved, you're counted as the bride of Christ, not any longer identified by whatever earmarkings you may have down here. You're no longer what you were before. You're a new creature in Christ. Behold, all things are passed away and all things become new. you got to grab a hold of that. You have to stop letting people use your past against you and guilt tripping you over something that you did. Hey, I met Jesus. Sorry I set a bad example. That's who I used to be, but I'm not anymore. And then mark them off your list and stop running around with them. Every time those individuals that are around there, they're smart alecks, they're jerks. If they're going to treat you that way, listen, instead of fighting with them and trying to straight them out, stop trying to win them over. Cut them off. Amen. Separate from them. You say, why? Don't be a jerk about it. Just realize they don't have your best interest at heart. The idea that you're trying to make people your friend that don't want to be. Listen, I know the Bible says he that have a friend must so and so friendly. That's why some of you don't have any. You're jerks. You're like giant hemorrhoids walking around. You're always looking to get some special treatment because you're always burning and itching about something. Amen. Good preaching. And, and, and you wonder, why doesn't nobody like you? Because you're a jerk. That's why. Because you're, you're, you're sharp-tongued. you got a, an attitude about you. You've got this giant chip on your shoulder. You're just waiting for somebody to knock it off so you can say something. I bet you that it would be difficult for you to have anything but poison come out of your mouth. But I'm talking about a Christian that wants to try to do what's right to do. You do realize there are more good people doing good things to you than there are bad people. Stop trying to convert all the people that don't like you. Even Jesus had some enemies. 
you haven't done anything wrong, they don't like you, just face facts. Who the heck do you think you are that everybody should like you? Jesus said about the boys, He said, Hey, I got enemies, you don't. What's wrong with this picture? If you're doing what's right to do, guess what? There's going to be offenses that come your way. Now, for you jack legs that are creating the problem, the Lord said, but woe unto them for who they come. Better for him that a millstone be hung about his neck and be cast into the depths of the sea than to offend one of these little ones. Uh, Lord, if somebody comes to you and asks you to forgive him, you forgive him how many is seven times seven? He said, till 70 times seven. Oh, Lord, increase our faith. And then he starts dealing with a servant there in that same passage there before he gets over to the leaping lepers at the end of the thing. Here's what I need for you to understand, ladies and gentlemen. If you're doing right, he says, it is impossible, but that offenses will come. But then you're not supposed to be the one through whom they come. If you're a Christian, you shouldn't be the one stirring up trouble. You shouldn't be the one trying to grab the spotlight. Can I teach you something about a spotlight? A spotlight will show up, every, show up every crack you got. Puts you in the limelight and takes the light off of everybody else. You know what else? That spotlight's hot. After a while, it takes a lot of pressure to stay under that spotlight. Don't be asking for the spotlight. If you're in the spotlight, find a shadow to get in. It's not a good place to be. But now think about this. If he's referring to it as Christ in the church, that means that he loved you enough to die for you. That's what we're supposed to be as husbands to our wives and all that. And then a couple down here that have been at it for 48 years. What did you say? How many years? 38 years. Lord, help us, man. That's a Congressional Medal of Honor working on it there. But 30, you know, you're a pastor for 38 years. 53 years. How long have you been married? Okay. <laughs> There's a great testimony for you. They're down here, 53 years, they're down here for, for a honeymoon. Here's the point I'm trying to make. I'm ruining it. I mean, help me out here, preacher. Here's the point I'm trying to make. You're not going to stay in a relationship if you don't learn that there's give and take in a relationship. Now, when it comes to the relationship with you and the other people out there, you're the bride of Christ. Are you representing him well? How would he treat them? You have prodigals come in here. How would he treat them? You're his wife. You're supposed to be the homemaker, aren't you? Aren't you supposed to be given to hospitality? It ain't just Timothy given to hospitality. Are you given to hospitality? Or do you just take the people you like that are like you to sit around the table and have roast preacher for dinner or roast Christian for dinner? Do you, are you given to hospitality? Do you make them feel hospitable? I mean, we do our best to try. You folks are some of the kindest people I've ever seen, and you give of yourselves and all that. But for those of you that aren't, why don't you get on board? What would be wrong with that? Why has it always got to be a push and shoving contest? Just who's, in, who's in charge? What difference does it make? I'm just the bride. I'm doing what the boss wants done. What difference does it make? Who gets their name in the bulletin? I guess it must make a difference. <laughs> what difference does it make? Did you do what you were supposed to do? What did Mary do? What she could? Could you tell me the woman at the well's name? You can't do it. You can run to Greek all day long and you can't find it. You say, why? God intentionally left her name out. Can you tell me who the great woman of Shunem was? Who was the maniac of Gadara? 
You ever realize how many things that God shields and uses a, a standpoint of not wanting you to be recognized by your name because He knows what it'll do to your reputation and it'll puff you up and make you proud? You know what He does? He just says, there's a woman there. She's at the well. Uh, she's had five husbands. Boy, what a way to talk about her. Yeah, well, I'll do my best to protect her, but she turned out the whole town. How about you? Come see a man told me everything I did. Don't you spend the majority of your time trying to hide that? You realize the greatest witness you can have, ladies and gentlemen, about you is to brag on your husband. Doesn't the Proverbs 31 say, you want to read it? You'll choke to death on it. It isn't just for your wife if you're physically married. It's for the bride of Christ. You can preach every one of those points and make yourself the bride, and I'll guarantee you, you'll let up off your wife. Because you'll realize you're not fulfilling Proverbs 31. Her husband is known in the gate. Is your husband known in the gate? Do you talk about him at work like you do in the church? Do you talk about him on the ball field? Do you talk about him in the fishing boat, the deer stand? Do you, I mean, is he known in the gate? Do you spend all your time working at home so he's out there where he's known all around and all you're known for is just working? You live in a situation nowadays where women think it's a sin to work. Well, generation just before me and the first part of my generation, it was considered an honor for the woman to be able to stay home and work. You say, why? My goodness, man, I wouldn't trade jobs for nothing with you. Being a housewife, you've got to be kidding, man. you got the hard part. You deserve a raise. You say, what? you got all that stuff to take care of. And you know what the Lord said? I like that. And the stupid preacher got up one time and said, you know, I hate it for the ladies. I don't know what they'll get and they get the judgment seat of Christ. I thought, why don't you go put on an apron and you take care of them yeah, snot-nosed yeah. punks all day long and we'll find out who gets what and we'll find out who's really working. You think that's easy to job? Swap places. You sit around in coffee pot and drink coffee and tell lies and take an hour long for lunchtime and hang around. She's been talking to punks all the kids, excuse me, kids all day long <laughs> and comes in and you've been talking to adults all day. And she wants to have adult conversation. And you're, you're tired of talking. Well, let me ask you a question. Do you get tired of talking about him? Why don't you read Proverbs 31? And why don't you see if you're Christ's bride, if you fit what he says in, in Christ, for Christ's bride. She's industrious. She works well with her hands. She knows, knows how to make a business deal. She's got some brains about her. She does what she's supposed to do without any credit at all. Who was that woman? You don't know, but her husband's known. That means when the Holy Spirit comes, you know the strange thing? That the Holy Spirit's like Eleazar over in Genesis 22 or 23 there. When he goes out to get uh, 24, I guess it is, he goes out to get uh, 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 Isaac a bride. Do you ever read about that? Do you ever realize that when he goes out there to get that, Eleazar sends him, or as the, as the thing goes out for Abraham to get the bride over there? Do you ever realize that, that all he does is go over there and brag on his master? He never one time talks about his position and what he has and who he is and what's going on. You know what I know? I know when you're really witnessing for the Lord, all you're doing is bragging on Jesus. When the Holy Spirit comes, you find me one place he brags on himself. You find me one place where he's contrary to what Jesus did. 
You find the one, where, one place where he bucks the orders. Well, but preacher, you know, he's the third part of the Trinity. Yeah, how come he never speaks of himself? How come he always speaks of Jesus? You want to tell a real witness? How bright does Jesus shine? Or is it all about you? I'm just asking. I don't know. I'm just, sometimes I think people go out so they can do like they used to do in Vietnam and collect ears just to show how many people they've killed in battle. And they think it's some kind of... I think sometimes people witness that way so they can tell how many people that they've witnessed to. They hand out tracks like a machine gun and stuff like that. When's the last time you sat down with somebody and spent some time with them and they remember more about the man you're talking about than you? Or your church? Or the trouble you've been in? Well, preacher, I'm just trying to have a personal witness with him and all that. No, you're not. You're trying to turn a light on yourself. Let's speak concerning Christ in the church. You say, why? If the Lord Jesus Christ died for the church and thinks that the church is important, would you agree that the church is important? Now, I gave you the verses on that. All right, take your Bible and come to Revelation 17. Oh, wait, go to, Revelation, go to Romans 11 first. We covered this in uh, Bible study, but let me hit it again real quick. Now, Brother Holland did the thing on Romans, and he covered this in detail. And I covered it years ago, but it's good for you to realize this because you're starting to hear a lot of saber rattling about it. And uh, you want to be careful. Now, I'm going to tell you now unequivocally, you do not want to be opposite sides from Israel. I don't care how obnoxious they might be and whether you agree with them flooding the tubes over there and whether you agree with them dressing up like uh, uh, women and doctors and going into the hospital. That's ingenious, by the way. Those people have been hiding over there in the midst of the hospital because they know that Americans and Jewish people are, are good about the, going by the Geneva Convention and not blowing up uh, hospitals and things. And one of the things they came up with here recently, I just read an article a couple of days ago, was they went in clandestinely. They dressed up as women and they dressed up as doctors and went in and they killed all the bad guys hiding in the hospital. And they left all the good guys alive. And the thing you want to do is think about you just hit a button and let a nuke go in there and, you know, blow everybody. But then you kill all the innocents and then you're all over the news people for killing innocents. Well, I think on the top headlines it should be, man, what a blessing. These people care enough about the people that are dying and laying in the hospital sick and all to go in covertly. But, man, do you realize you're talking face to face, hand to hand, I mean up close and personal, man. I mean, that's going in with a mission in mind. That takes some courage, boy. And you know you're going to go in, and you're going in. Not I'm out of bullets, I'm going hand to hand. You're going hand to hand. You say, what do you think about that? I think it's ingenious. I think it's a great thing. I think it should have been done a long time ago. They figured out a way around it, because all they're talking about, well, you can't bomb them, you can't bomb them. Well, now they figured out they're not impervious. And let me say this to you, because you're hearing a lot of the stuff going on now about what Israel does and doesn't do and where it's going to be America. The only reason that your country is still breathing air is because up to now you've taken care of Israel. Amen. And the second you turn your back on the nation of Israel as a nation, you're done. You want to know how I know? Look at the British Empire. She's done sailed. You say, why? She turned her back on Israel. It's a fifth-rate power now. The sun never sets on that. does now all over the place. 
She lost her shirt. As a matter of fact, if you study Israel, I mean, study Britain right now, you know what you got popping up all over Britain, all over in England and stuff? You know what's over there? Muslim mosques. You know what they're going to try to do? Put in Sharia law. Because the place is flooded. You say, why? You turned your back on God's people. The fatal mistake. Don't get yourself caught up in anti-Semitism. Don't get yourself caught up when people get cured off. Well, get away from it. I'm telling you, you don't have to be a jerk about it. Just walk away from it. Amen. I'll bless them that bless thee and curse them that curse thee. You better believe it. Amen. You say, well, what happens if the nation does? Well, just be glad you're on the right side when the ship sinks. The Titanic goes down. You ain't going to find yourself out there in the ocean floating around and Jesus is going to come get you. He's going to rapture you out of here. Or if something happens, it'll be the same thing happened to save people when the towers came down. You say, what happened to them? They were absent from the body present with the Lord. They just practiced the rapture in reverse. They went down before they went up. I mean, I mean, what would you do if you had jet fuel or whatever was burning up there, erythrocyte or whatever it is that's burning in the place, and it's burning 800 degrees? You'd say, well, I'd never jump. Well, jump or burn. What would you do? I don't want to find out. I mean, both of them scare me to death. What would you do? I don't know. Maybe look for a gun or something. I mean... But that's your only choice. You're 40, 50 stories up. You don't think about that? You don't think that would some of them weren't saved people? I just can't believe they were saved. You know, they didn't trust God and all that. I thank God I don't get put in that position. Sometimes we don't think, ladies and gentlemen. Look in Romans chapter number 11 here. Let me give you a couple of verses here. Come in verse 25. For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel, until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And all Israel shall be saved. Now that has to do with the millennial, when things start, that's all twelve tribes. That's not everybody that's a Jew that's ever been around. That's the nation of Israel that's alive and is coming. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion a deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob." That takes place in time. It doesn't take place now. Like I told you, the guy in Texas teaches. All Israel is going to be saved. So everybody that's died, they get another chance. No, they don't. Nobody gets a second chance. You don't go to hell and get to get out and get another chance. Unless you consider standing at the great white throne and comparing your righteousness to His, well, ain't much of a second chance. Look down at verse number 28. As concerning the gospel, they're enemies for your sake. But as touching election, they are loved, are beloved of, for the Father's sakes, and the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. You know what he said? He said, they're enemies for your sake. They're enemies of God for your sake. You get to get in on it. But you're to love them. But they're beloved for the Father's sake. That means whether you like them or not, God says you've got to love them. You say, why? Do you know why you got in? You know how come you got grafted in? Oh, because God came for everybody. Not, no, hogwash. You're not that important. You know why you got in? You got in because they rejected him. And in order to provoke them to jealousy, he decided to pick the worst people he could pick, a bunch of Gentile dogs. You know what he said? I'm going to take you. You say, why? Because you love us. We're a cute little dog. We're Heinz 57. We're going to drag it. No, I'm going to take you because I'm trying to upset them. 
And you know what he says there? He said, I would not have you to be ignorant about this. Don't get too puffed up in the fact that you've been grafted in and think that you're somebody because I'm not done with them yet. Don't put yourself in a position to replace them. You're not replacing them. So in other words, what he says is, remember your place. I remember sitting at a big table one time. We were sitting there, a big family gathering up in Alabama. And Nan and Papa were there and their stuff's all over the table and this and that and the other. And, and uh, they're getting ready to serve some stuff like that. And I looked down there to my Papa at the end of the table. I don't know what possessed me, the devil or something. I said, give me that right there. And man, I remember, whew, boy, it was like I hollered fire or something, man. Everybody got quiet. And my papa said, uh, you better remember who you're talking to there, boy. You want, I want to put a please on the end of that and take the give me off of that. And then may I please have my mom and daddy sitting right there. They didn't back off of it. You ever think about that? You ever think about how you talk sometimes to God? You ever think sometimes you might get a little fresh, little, little disrespectful, little, little demanding is a good word there, a little bit. You know, God, you're going to answer me. Better remember who you're talking to, boy. Might want to formulate that. Well, God, I'm good and mad. I don't know why you did this. Probably not the way to go at it. Some of you are that way. Some of you are that way when it comes to authority. I recommend to you when the police pulls you over there, God bless your sweetheart. That ain't the time to pull on sovereign citizen foolishness on him and tell him you ain't got right to stop me and this and that and the other. You know what I suggest you do? Yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Yes, sir, no, sir. Well, we don't do that up north. You do in the south. If you want to get out of a ticket, you might want to start by saying sir or ma'am. You say, what is that? It's subjecting yourself to the authority. How about how you treat each other? Uh, some of you kids, we don't have a bunch of them in here tonight. Some of you kids, the way you talk to your parents and grandparents and some of the old people around here. Man, I was raised in a generation where they'd take a bar of soap and wash your mouth out or smack your jaws. That's just disrespectful. How are you? Fine! What's all that about? How's things going today? Fine, why do you ask? There's something going on here? Right? But see, this social media stuff has broken down those barriers that are there. They're all through the Old Testament that there's a respect that even comes with the elderly. If nothing else, even if they're senile, they're still your elder. You deal with somebody that winds up having Alzheimer's or dementia or something like that, you better not forget that's still your elder. You say, what? God watches that stuff. That's big to God, whether it is nowadays or not. There's too many barriers been broken down. Too many borders have been broken down. There's stuff that just, it's just too fresh. It's just too, it's just too close. This idea that you have a boss and that you just, y'all are on the same level. Oh, that man or woman signed your paycheck. You don't walk in there like, hey, we're on the same page. Pick your check up. You ain't on the same page with me. In the name of Jesus, when I was in the secular world, of course, now, you know, everybody, we're on the same. I'm on the bottom, you're on the top. But, I, but you understand what I'm saying? Why is that? 
You think that makes him happy as a bride? You think when you come home to your husband and say, well, I'm going to tell you what, you wouldn't believe what happened to me at work today. Your husband would say, you know, I'm proud of you for standing up for yourself. You think that's what he would say to you? Well, when it comes here to the nation of Israel, ladies and gentlemen, you know what he does? He's chosen those people as his chosen people, and he gets to pick whoever he wants to pick, whether you like him or don't like him. The Lord said that he's done that, and they're your enemies, but they're to be beloved. And no matter what the rhetoric goes on and how many with the replacement theology and the reformed theology and all that other kind of stuff, ladies and gentlemen, you better not jump on that. And if the Bible's right, when the Antichrist comes, he'll come on an anti-Semitic platform. And what God's doing over there right now, in my opinion, is seeing if America's got the guts to stand with Israel. And if she doesn't, your goose is cooked. And eventually, you know what will happen? All nations will turn against them, including you. See, what does that mean for me? It means we're closer to getting out of here. But that's what's coming. Preacher, surely they wouldn't do that. They're under the influence of the devil. They will do that. I guarantee you they'll do that. The Lord said, I'll put hooks in their jaws and I'll drag them in. Do we have time for one more? We got time for one more. Revelation 17. Is this interesting to you? It should be. I don't even engage with people that want to talk of the anti-Semitism stuff. Well, I just don't know if Netanyahu is doing this, that, and the other. with his battle plans and this and that and the other. Have a nice day. Well, I mean, don't you think Israel should be backing off of things now? Have a nice day. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, haven't they carried it a little bit far? I mean, enough's enough, isn't it? Have you lived the, since 1948? Have you lived since 1948 with nothing but constant threat of attacks on you? Rolling down steel windows at nighttime to protect you from bomb blasts and terrorists? Riding on a bus not knowing at any moment whether or not you're going to get shot or blown up? And then you think you have a right to look over here through a television screen or an internet and look down there at that stuff and determine whether or not you think what they're doing is re in retaliation is right or not? Have you had your kids bound up with barbed wire and set on fire? Have you sat right there while you watched your wives and your daughters physically raped with all kind of horrible and god-awful things happening to them and them dismembering babies in front of you? When's enough enough? Amen. Well, I know that's a bad deal, but I mean... You know, preacher, I mean, somewhere, you know, we got to stop the bloodshed. Well, I can tell you how you can stop the bloodshed. You eradicate the enemy that's causing the bloodshed. And once they're gone, guess what? Then you're in peace. That's biblical. Where they decide to stop is their business. Well, but preacher, I just think, what are you, the Antichrist? Peace, 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 peace. Uh-uh. You say, what do you think about that, preacher? I think the Lord's hand's in it. You say, why? Because Israel's involved in it. Preacher, what do you think? I'm pro-Israel. Can you tell? That's not my platform. I'm pro-Jesus. We were over there with the cancer treatments and stuff, and it's been a long time now. People forget about all that stuff, and we're sitting down there, and she's got a, a little bitty lady. There was a Catholic a surgeon, and the uh, other woman that was the, uh, the oncologist was a Jew. And the, the Jewish lady there, she's a real good oncologist. She's young. She's sitting there on the stool. And Dreamland sitting over there shaking like a dog 
trying to get rid of a peach seed and and her surgeon came with her over there to help her to make all these decisions and I'm sitting in there and that lady slid right up there next to her and she said, now I'll ask you a question and I thought, boy, it's going to be something serious and she said, now, she's a Catholic and uh, I'm a Jew and your husband's a Baptist preacher. You think you're going to get along okay with me? She never hesitated. You know what she said? Well, my father's a Jew, so we should be good. <laughs> You say what? She knows better than to say, but that's just a person. Huh? That's his chosen people. You ever look at that stuff? You ever look at how many times God used a Jew to get America out of a mess? How do you think he beat Germany and Japan? Do you study it at all? By the way, Brother Matt, that's a, a good book. I'm nowhere near halfway through, but it's a good book. About that thick, but it's bigger than War and Peace. But, but listen, do you ever study it? That's God. You took German Jews and Austrian Jews and they came over here and helped you build a bomb to stop the war. Yes, sir. Jewish people. You say, why is that? I don't know. I guess God must like you because you backed them up. But the second you quit. All right, let me give you one more for tonight and then I'll give you the other ones when I come back from uh, up there in Ohio. Uh, this is a great one here, verse number uh, seven, uh, Revelation 17, look in verse number 5. This one's in bold letters, so you can't miss it. And upon her forehead was the name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. Now look at her colors there in verse number 4. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness and of her fornication. Now, if you take a look at that, you know that her colors right there are purple and scarlet. He's going to describe to you who this is. Come all the way down there in verse number 9. We won't take time to go through the whole bit. Look in verse number 9. And here is a mind which hath wisdom, the seven heads or seven mountains upon which the woman sitteth. Do you happen to know a city about that? She's the mother of harlots. She's a prostitute. She sells herself to the highest bidder. Look whose blood she's drinking in verse number 6. That's the blood of the martyrs. That's the blood of the saints. That's not just the crusades. I told you the other day when we were talking about it, I told you you should read Fox's Book of Martyrs and you should read the Martyr's Mirror. And the reason you should read that is, is to understand that the majority of all those stories that come out there behind those is Rome. Now I'm going to say something and you're going to be uncomfortable. The Bible doesn't change just because the people in the positions have changed. It's still Rome, and it's still the Roman Catholic Church. It's not Muslims. It's not America. America didn't come in there, and the city has fallen, Great Babylon, and all that. That's not America. That's Rome. You say, but they're not where they used to be, and the Muslims have overtaken them, and the Mormons have done this and that and the other. It's still Rome, and that's who it's going to be. It is not uh, theoretic in nature. It is not thematic in nature. It's not, well, let's spiritualize this. No, it's literal. In the tribulation period, which is where you're reading here, Rome has a resurgence, and you know what she's about? Persecuting Jews, the 144,000 male virgin Jews, and any of their converts. They will do the Antichrist bidding. She's in bed with the devil. Rosemary's baby doesn't have anything on her. 
who nailed Jesus to the cross, who crucified him, who put Paul in jail, cut off James's head. She'll sell herself and do whatever you have to do in order to be able to come out on the end. You study much about World War I, but especially World War II, the majority of all of Hitler's cabinet, every one of them are Roman Catholic, practicing Roman Catholics. Do you know how many they killed? Over six million just Jewish people, not counting their own people. You study all of those things, you know what you find out? You find out that behind the scenes they've been doing it. Now here's what they're doing. They're playing both ends against the middle. Preacher, I read an article the other day where the Roman Catholic Church was helping Jews escape. All that was optics. They're letting 100 or 200 get out over here that they're helping to escape and they're killing thousands of them while they're helping Hitler to kill them. But look at the humanitarian effort that we're doing. You go down there where, um, uh, what's the elderly woman? They made her a nun, then they turned her into a saint there, Mother Teresa. Uh, do you know that originally when all that stuff started down there, do you know that they had a whole bunch of uh, insurrections and stuff and try to fix it and say it the right way? And they had, uh, at one, one particular sitting, they had over 600 women that were uh, raped by uh, the tribes that were there. And they wound up being uh, pregnant. You know who wound up taking over all the babies? Mother Teresa and the nuns. Well, that's nice, don't you think? You realize they were all raised Roman Catholic? You're not thinking. What happened to them? Well, I don't know how many of them got saved, but if you're raised Roman Catholic and you're in that, kind of, that part of the country and the Roman Catholic Church is the one that's taking care of you all that time, don't you feel you'd have a sense of loyalty or something there? And don't you think it'd be hard to pull you out of that church? Where do you think they wound up? Do you ever think about the babies that drowned in the river over there the, that, uh, when uh, Pharaoh was around? How about the babies that got slaughtered in Bethlehem? You ever think about that? How about the ones that died in Noah's flood? Did you ever think about it? It's a terrible tragedy. I'm not for babies dying. But did you ever pause to think about the eternal picture? At least they're safe. You sure you want them to grow up and experience life and die and go to hell? See, there's another side to it, the eternal side, ladies and gentlemen. Well, preacher, I don't think they should have adopted the kid. Okay, go adopt them yourself and raise them. But you see, it looks like it looks good. You say, what happens? They're soul hunters. You heard about it in Bible study. And they make it easy. Well, what group of individuals wouldn't want to give her the Congressional Medal of Honor or some kind of honors for taking on all that and, and, and raising all those kids, raising them Roman Catholic? Did you ever thank God for your salvation? I've got to be honest with you. I, I do have that streak in me. If somebody took me in and I was an orphan and they raised me and fed me and clothed me and took care of me and gave me shelter and gave me an opportunity and gave me an education and I was able to obtain anything because of them always giving me a leg up, you'd have a hard time talking me out of it. Amen. You could preach Jesus to me all day long and I'd be thinking, well, I don't know. Jesus don't pay the bills. They do. But there's another side to it. 
Don't be fooled by Rome. Now, you're beginning to see some things that are going on now uh, that's happening in the Roman Catholic Church and some of the things they're doing with the same-sex stuff and all that. Their colors are starting to show, literally. But what you don't want to ignore is, is all the blood that's already been shed and all the blood that's already been drunk by them. But in the tribulation period, you listen to me, she'll have a chalice and there will be practicing in the church during the tribulation period. They will be executing Jewish people and they will be drinking their blood physically, literally. The Bible said a tenth part of them, a teal, those will be cut out. That tenth part will be cut out for what? Sacrifice. And the Bible says they're drunk with the blood of the saints. That's literal. You say, drinking blood? Sure, man. Why? You're in the tribulation. Who's ruling and reigning? The devil. It'll be full-blown cannibalism. What do you think happened in the days of Noah? You got to study a little bit, folks. There's a time coming, the Bible says, such as man has never seen before. Well, did you realize in that time, right before Noah's flood, they're sacrificing babies? Do you know what they picked up after that time? After Noah's flood, you know what came back on the scene? You know what happened there in the days when Isaac was about to be sacrificed? Do you know what was happening? They're burning babies to Molech. They put them in there and then the hands draw back and draw them over a fire. And in order for that baby to get away from the fire, they roll off the hands and roll into the fire. Mama and daddy sitting there screaming and looking at them. And the baby rolls off, burnt like a waffle on the back end and rolls off trying to get away from the fire as a sacrifice to, to, to uh, Molech. That was after the flood. Where does that stuff come from? It's coming again in the tribulation. It won't be nothing. They won't think nothing of it. The United States leads in abortions now. I just will go ahead and bring that up. That's not my platform. You don't think anything about taking life. Nobody thinks anything of it. What's the big deal? I don't want the responsibility. Okay. Well, by the time it'll be a part of your religious ceremony, you say, why? The same way that the devil wants to mess up your kids with pedophilia. There's nothing more pure and innocent than a little child. And so what do they want to do? Well, that's a pure sacrifice, isn't it? You're headed that way. Kids are just kids. What's the big deal? Before long, because you, they keep, not you, but they keep opening the doors. The individual will come in and say, well, I'm non-gender specific and I don't identify with anything, but I love children and you can't, God made me this way and you can't tell me I can't have what I want. And before long, you know what will happen? You may be in the tribulation. You know what it will be? It will be completely legal for you to have children for your, um, for that. Say, so it will never happen. When I first started preaching, I told you queers were coming. And marrying each other was coming. And marrying computers and all that stuff was coming. I'm parroting what other people had said, but I told you, well, there it is. I can tell you what's next. It ain't animals. That's long since gone. It's kids. Do you know who participates more in that trafficking than any other country, any other nation in the entire world? The United States of America. You're the number one country with an insatiable appetite for trafficking children. For your appetite. Sodom and Gomorrah ain't got nothing on you. You don't think the Lord hears the cries of them innocent little babies and them innocent children? 
screaming and hollering. Oh, you just wait till he wakes up.